You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Well, Governor Gavin Newsom in California has instituted a law that says that no gas-powered vehicles can be sold in California after 2035, and that would be new vehicles. So I guess if people want gas-powered vehicles, they better start buying them now because they're not going to be able to buy them anymore in California after that time. What do you ladies think? Well, for me, I think it's very interesting because I definitely think the country has been moving towards more electric vehicles. And someone reminded me the other day that gasoline, some of the taxes on gasoline pay for some of the road maintenance. So I'm going to be curious about how is road maintenance now going to be paid for if only electric vehicles can be used. So that's one issue that I think about. And then I also think about um, can people afford the electric vehicles? Yes. The average cost of an electric vehicle right now is $66,000. And for some people, that is beyond their means. Well, I think that that's for a lot of people, especially, you know, California has a lot of the illegal immigrants that are coming in. They're being welcome, welcome there in a sanctuary state. They don't have that kind of money to do that. And, you know, the other thing is they don't have the power grid to do it either. So I'm not sure what they're really thinking. And if we really think about this logically, where does electricity come from? It comes from fossil fuels. So you either have to use coal or you have to use nuclear. And they have really um, shut down all their nuclear plants or most all of them in California so I'm not sure where they're going to get the power grid because they already have brownouts in California a lot. And this is before cars, you know, being on these electric uh, power grids. People were lined up just weeks ago when, when the gas prices were really high. People were lined up to get electricity in their cars and they waited for hours. Can you imagine if everybody in that state had to have an electric car, what that would do? And one more issue, I just saw that if, if your battery runs out, your lithium battery runs out, then it's another 30,000 or more to replace it. People can't afford that. And it, the, the article I read was talking about that it only lasts about 70,000 miles. I don't know what's true because there's so much information out there and there's so much misinformation out there. I don't know what's true, but I, I'm not sure. And I, I really like both of your opinion on if, if the government should be telling us that, that, that we can't buy a gas powered car if that's what we would choose to have. I don't really understand why the government would want to tell people that. I can tell you this. I actually just took delivery of an electric vehicle on Friday. 
And I was a little bit hesitant about getting the electric vehicle, but my sons convinced me to get it. And I do love it. It's really convenient. I can charge it at my home and it's really easy to use. And so far I've loved it. I love the way it drives. It's, it's been a wonderful vehicle so far. I just wonder what's the practicality of it for millions of citizens. Can the car companies deliver on this? Can they make it affordable? Can the state provide what's needed to keep these cars charged? Can it, is it really something that's not only feasible economically, but practically? I agree with that. And I'm reading an article that talks about um, that Tesla broke all of its delivery records. But if you order a Tesla today, it won't ship to your door for several months. And in fact, many models are entirely sold out until mid-2023. So you wonder if there if there's enough supply to meet the demand. And then the other question is where are the batteries made? And how are we beholden to people making the batteries? Is it something that we can do here and benefit our own economy? Yes, I agree with that. And I, and I would like to say my electric vehicle was on order for two years. Took mm. two years to take delivery of that vehicle. So I'm very confused about how the government is going to mandate this unless there's a major shift with the auto companies and their abilities to produce these vehicles. Now, I have a very dear friend who works at one of the big three automakers. And he was sharing with me when he was in town a few months ago that the large auto companies do have mandates that they are trying to shift more and more to the sustainable models. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens because I do think that they did have some targets that they were supposed to hit in the last few years in terms of the number of vehicles that were hybrids or electric vehicles. And I don't believe they actually achieved those goals. So I'm going to be very curious to see how the government can mandate this to happen. Even if everybody really wanted it to happen, I don't know if it's feasible. Or practical for a lot of people. I live in a small town. So for me, going somewhere takes many miles to get there. And you know, I'm the it, same way. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I can just jump in my car and ride for hours and not worry about recharging the car. And then if I have a problem with it, when I'm not in town, what do you do at that point? How do you, how do you remedy that? And is that practical? Well, and you know, we have gas powered cars for many, many years there. You still see in my town, there are lots and lots of, you know, Model Ts and old, old cars, um, cars that are 60, 70 years old, uh, that they do these shows almost every weekend with these classic cars. An EV car won't last that long. 
No. Um, and then you have to get either a whole new car because sometimes the battery costs more than the car, or you have to, you know, replace the battery, which is basically the price of a car now. So that's really worrisome to what people can afford. And I think that you're going to eliminate a large segment of the population from being able to own a car. And I, I'm not sure why they would want to do that. The, the, my concern is, well, Vera, let me ask you, how, how many miles does your car get before you need to recharge it? Well, so they recommend that you not let it go, go below 20%. So 20% for me, because I have the extended version, would be somewhere in the high 200s, low 300s miles. But my car is the most extended version that you can get for a vehicle. So a lot of people, if they're looking to drive for the normal or typical vehicle, um, theirs would be somewhere more in the high 100s, low 200s in terms of miles. And for some people, to your point, who live in a small town or the distances are greater, that's going to be a challenge for them. I well, think and for, be a- yeah, for somebody like, like me who travels um, halfway across the country fairly frequently on, uh, the, on Highway 10, which really for most of it is pretty much desert uh, and you're out in the kind of the boondocks. It's hard enough to even find gas, but certainly not electric charging stations. I, how, I mean, how would that work? Because that's 1700 miles. I would have to be, you know, stopping and charging pretty frequently. And I don't even know if, if, if you could find enough charging stations to do that. So that worries me. The, the other thing that really, you know, besides the government overreach, which really bothers me, I don't have anything against the cars per se. If somebody wants the car, then that's great. I, I think that I my head has kind of been turned against the cars because of being pushed, you know, in that direction. So I'd like to make my own decision for my own reasons and not be told that I have to do it. But and that's just the stubborn part of me. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, I really am concerned about what goes into those batteries. And we did a show a while back that was really, really interesting, talking about exactly how many thousands of pounds of precious minerals and other kinds of minerals from the earth have to go into each and every one of those batteries and the amount of water that it takes. And it it was really eye-opening. And I thought that's, that's not good for the earth. And then you can't dispose of the battery. So what do they do? They have these places where they bury them or uh, say in China, what they do is they have thousands of acres of these cars just sitting there kind of rotting because they're, they're used up. And that doesn't seem very good for the environment to me either. I think we have a way to go to get, to a point where this all makes sense to me. I I think if somebody wants it, and I don't know how much you drive Vera or you drive Lee, but, you know, I think that, that it's good for some people, but I don't think it's good for other people just yet. So to 
force a population to, to do it is, uh, it's really rubbing me the wrong way. Well, I think the other thing about it that doesn't make much sense to me is they're banning the sale of new gas powered road vehicles, but they're not saying you can't drive gas powered road vehicles in the state, or you can't acquire gas in the state for your gas powered road vehicles. So theoretically, people could still go to all of the states next door and buy gas powered vehicles. So I'm not 100% sure if it has the desired impact in terms of reducing the number of vehicles in the state that are gas powered, that's number one. And number two, the, and I think you touched on this earlier, Linda, which in regard to the burning of coal and how that's going to be impacted and the carbon footprint of that relative to the electricity that's going to be required to charge the vehicles. So I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation and hopefully it will drive some further improvements in how batteries work and electric vehicles work because I'm not so sure that today everyone would agree that an electric powered vehicle is better for the environment. I agree with that. And it's really interesting. I'm reading an article and it states that Business Insider reported that one in five EV owners in California switched back to gas powered cars due to charging hassles or woes in 2021. Yeah, that doesn't so, surprise me. You know what else that, that I haven't heard anybody bring up? Um, it always concerns me about all the business owners. So look at all the thousands of gas stations in California that mm-hmm. would be put out of business. Not all of them, because people are still going to have cars for a while because they do last, the gas power cars last. But you think about the gas stations that, that are not going to, you know, they're, they're going to have to diminish, right? So maybe half of them or two thirds of them would go out of business. And then what about all of the, the mechanics and all of the repair shops and all of the car dealerships and all of, all of the ancillary things that have to do with vehicles, which are a lot of things, all yes. those people are, are going to be put out of business. And that, that really is kind of concerning to me, or they'll have to leave California and go to another state where, you know, they don't have that kind of law and they can still make a living. So I, I just think that there's really a lot of consequences and I'm not sure that this was thought out really well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's just, just my thoughts on it. So, and Vera, to, you know, to your point about how convenient it is, I agree. I have, I have a number of friends who have electric vehicles and they charge them at home, but you know, we, we have to be realistic that probably most people can't afford to do that. You know, that, I mean, it does take some expense to, to, to put that in your home. Does it, I have no idea what it is and you would know better than I, but I, I, that's what I've heard. So, you know, I mean, how convenient would that be to have it at your house? But then again, if you're out on the road <laughs> and you're not at your house, you still have to get some power. Yes. Yeah, I actually think it's the whole conversation is very interesting because my son's really convinced me to buy 
the electric vehicle. And the cost of the electricity is projected to be about a tenth of what the cost of gas would be for the year. And the cost to install the charger is, is a fraction of that. Um, so over time, I do believe that you can catch up on some of those costs. But, but in terms of your point earlier about the cost of a new battery, that's extraordinarily expensive. I don't know how long these batteries last. And the other thing is these electric vehicles are expensive. They are not inexpensive and even used ones can be very expensive. And the waiting lists are very, very long. So I just think all of those factors have to be considered in some of these decisions. Well, I agree with you. And we're pulling lithium, uh, the, the, the minerals that we need to make these batteries are, for the most part, they're still being pulled from other countries and not ourselves. And that's of concern to me because anytime you have instability in the world, then again, you know, everybody with that type of car is going to be in, a, in kind of a threatened situation. Or if you're not allowed to buy a gas car, and there's no gas stations left, you're, you're, you're still going to be in, you know, a precarious situation. So I guess we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. As always, there's a political fight about it. So we'll have to watch what happens. Don't miss an episode of the Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. Subscribe to the podcast. And for the latest news and inspiration, join us back at AmericaOutloud.com. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And I'd like to introduce our host today. So today we have Lee Parr. And Lee is hailing from Georgia. And she is a woman who has been married for 35 years, mother of three and a grandmother of two. And she graduated from Johnson and Wales University in 1986, loves to paint, sew, garden, and she's had a small business. You know, she she just has kind of done it all. And it's a true pleasure to have you with us, Lee. And we have Vera Mazzillo. And Vera, I don't know about this. I know you're married. This 10 children, though, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Um, Vera is a a mom of 10 children, his, mine, and ours children. Uh, She has, in addition, nine grandchildren. That's 19 children to deal with, people. (laughs) And she hails from Tampa, Florida. And her hobbies are reading, traveling, swimming, and playing games with all those kids in her family. So welcome, Vera. And Vera and her husband, by the way, are CEOs of a major company in North America as well. And I am Linda Martinelli. I am a business owner. I hail from Texas. And I am also the host right here on America Out Loud of Talking While Married, along with my husband, Dr. Ron Martinelli, a forensic criminologist. And, you know, I have to give my husband, ladies, some big kudos today. Um, Really, really big day in, in life, a a big month. Um, uh, He's been defending a a police officer who was wrongfully uh, accused of murdering a woman that he was uh, actually there to protect. And the officer is an acquitted, innocent and free man today. So I am so very proud of him. And you can catch that story with us on Talking While Married. So, um, Vera, I'm going to throw this over to you because I think you have a subject that you're interested in discussing. Yes, thank you so much, Linda. Something that I'd love to talk about tonight is the concept of how do you get started in a new hobby or a new interest later in life? I think for many of us, it really is daunting as we get older to think about how do I pursue something that could become a passion for me? but I've never done it before. What are the first steps and how do I overcome that initial fear of beginning? So I'm going to ask both of you, have you started a hobby um, later in life and how has it gone for you and what have you done to become successful with it? Well, I was working and I quit my job and all of my children were in college And so I decided I wanted to do something that, quite frankly, I was a little afraid of doing because I'd never had any training in it. I'd never taken any classes. And I decided I wanted to paint. And that was very overwhelming almost because I have a tendency to want to do things perfectly. And I I reached out to a woman who was a painter, and she invited me to come to her house to learn how to paint. And it has been one of the most rewarding things I have ever done in my life. And in the beginning, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect, but I couldn't be perfect because I'd never done it. And I think it taught me to be very patient with myself 
and it taught me to enjoy the company of the people around me and enjoy the process of learning something. And I've met people from all over the world doing this. I've developed friendships that are incredible. And no matter where I go, I have people that I can connect with. And one of my teachers told me, we're not painting for world peace. We're painting for fun. And when she told me that, it changed everything. And once I learned to paint, I decided, oh, I really want to learn to sew. So it has given me courage and in other areas too. And I've met people through that. It's just been so much fun. And the great thing is you don't have to start with a lot of money. You just start with the people that know what they're doing and have a community of other people doing it. And then you, you just build from that. And it's amazing how that can organically grow. And it's so much fun. And Linda, one thing you may or may not know about Lee is she actually became president of the Georgia Women's Painting Society. Is that right, Lee? Is that the name of that organization? It is. It's a, it's a different organization, but it's a painting society. Yes. And yes. she actually made paint plates for me that she brought to my house that she had painted, hand painted with my monogram on them in gold. They're the most beautiful plates that I own. And everyone who comes to my home comments on those plates and asks me, where did you get those plates? How can I get those plates? And just seeing her evolution as a painter has been such an inspiration to me because I think it is daunting and scary to think about starting something later in your life, but she's been so incredibly successful at it. Oh, I I don't know about that. Well, of course you have your, you became president of the, that, I think, that I that, think it was because I had a pulse. <laughs> that was the qualification. <laughs> you know, and, and there, there's, oh gosh, this just gives me so many ideas. I mean, I actually started the business that I'm in right now, even though I was in the business, I started my own business pretty late in life, you know, for, for, uh, I didn't start it in my twenties. I started it in my, what, around uh, my late forties, I guess I started it. But, but if you have an idea of something that you'd like to do, then, you know, you had the right answer right there is it is talk to people who are doing it or, or get a mentor or talk to somebody. And here's a perfect, perfect example is, you know, my husband, he, he loves to write and, so he really took up writing, you know, very late in life because he never had the time with working and he just had such a passion and he wanted to do it. So now he's written, uh, what, well, he's written several true books, but then he went into fiction and now he's written three and he's on his fourth and he's been very successful with those books. But how the, the issue has been, and was how what do you do i mean neither of us know what how do you get the books sold how do you get them 
out there and so that people know about them. And so what we did is exactly what I just said and what Lee said is we talked to other people who are authors who have been successful. Um, we, we looked at Kevin Sorbo. We talked to, um, well, I won't mention all the names of the authors, but they're, we've, they're, they're accessible. So we've talked to them and we've talked to, to people about how did you get your books known? And th that's what you do. So if you want to do something as you did, Lee, and do painting, then, then you, obviously you, you go somewhere and you learn it and you, you put the effort in. My daughter just did that this a few days ago. She, she and her husband went into town and they took a painting class and they'd never done it. And their paintings were actually beautiful. Their first one, each they, they did the same one. It was, they were a flamingo and they were really, really good. If I wanted to start a business, which I've had a passion to start another business for some time, and I've decided I'm not going to do it because I don't need any more work in my life. But what do you do? You, you, you start investigating and you take baby steps and you learn all the things to how to do it. And, and then you just, you know, you leap. Okay. You have to take a leap because if you're afraid of everything, and if you're afraid of all the consequences and many people are right they're they're, yes. they're afraid to do things. And for me, that's never been a problem because I always figure if I go the wrong way, I can make a U-turn and go a different way. But there's a lot of people that, that let fear uh, really block what they what they want to do and what they'd love to do, and that that's kind of sad. You know, you just have to take that leap. Well, I, I agree have, with that. Go ahead, Vera. Well, I, I know some people who actually they'll develop a passion, and they will actually look even for events or experiences that will help them to cultivate it. I'll give you some examples. I have a friend who wanted to learn how to ballroom dance. So she actually started looking for cruises that have ballroom dancing on them. And I thought that was really interesting. So there are actually some cruises out there where they will do ballroom dancing lessons. I have another friend who wanted to learn more about cooking. And some of the cruise ships have like cuisine academy as part of their experience within the cruise ship. So I thought, wow, that's another way you can really learn and you can get a little bit immersed in it if you're taking a week or a two week cruise. And to your point, and you can start small by taking a local class. Um, you can also get more immersed in it if you want, because there are all kinds of experiences in our community or even in our travels, if we look for them. And to your point, Linda, I don't think we have to be afraid of it. And that's really the key. And you, when did you start with your bowls? Oh, gosh. Well, um, when I actually started owning them was probably about, oh, I don't know, 16. Uh, three, three, nine, probably about nine years ago. And what, so how did you get into it? What interested you about that? Well, I've, well, I, I've had, I've been interested in them for many, many years. I loved watching bull riding. I, the animals are just fascinating to me. Um, I, I, 
I oddly enough love cows, cattle, bulls. Um, they're a really interesting. I did a whole show one time on on their their personalities. They are a fascinating animal, really. They're very much a um, you know they 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 want a buddy. They don't like to be alone. They're very social, but. Anyway, I, I love the sport of bull riding. And for anybody who's listening who thinks that the bulls are hurt or anything, that is nothing could be further from the truth. These are animals that are treated like gold. Um, they, they are not abused and hurt. In fact, they're very happy animals. But as far as owning them, you really had to be a big rancher in the past and you had to you know have, have a place for them and you had to be able to to feed them and care for them. And I mean, I can't do that. That's not my lifestyle. But when the opportunity arose in the industry to sort of become a gentleman cattle rancher, um, I jumped on it the very first year that it was available. And I, I started uh, by buying a couple of world champion bulls offspring and learned that that was the worst thing I could have done. And then I started <laughs> studying how, how do you get a winning bull? How, what, what does it take? And, you know, I learned a lot about um, the, the breeding, the female, the male. Uh, I just, I, I just have kind of studied it along the way. I talked to lots and lots and lots of people that mentored me, you know, that are actual ranchers and, and then I, I made good friends in the industry and I made good friends that could advise me well. And um, one of those people actually is a lady of liberty right here on this show, um, Tracy Halpane. She's just a, an absolutely amazing woman. So um, it, it's all the things we just talked about, Vera. It's all the things, you know, you, you, you get in the game, right? You get in the game and you you do what you want to do. And you know what? Things don't always work out for people. So then you can do something else because you can. the things that you can do are never ending. I, I happen to see life as a potpourri and I just have more fun with it because there's, there's so many things you can do. It's just like being a kid in a candy store every day. What, what, what can I do today? <laughs> I, I, just well, I agree with that. And I also think I, I listened to someone and they said, if you want your ego to be better, you do something to impress yourself. And I thought that was really good advice. So you take on a challenge that is difficult and or, or seems difficult in your mind. And I think it's always not as difficult when it's something you really enjoy and you're surrounded by other people who enjoy it, it becomes a joy. You know what? I love that. And I'll, both of you just said something that really resonated with me. And I think so many people are so afraid to approach someone who's really good at something. They think, oh, that person doesn't want to talk with me. That person doesn't have time to share what they've learned, but I believe it's the exact opposite. I, I do too. You know, I think people who are really good at what they do typically love to share their experiences. They love to share their expertise. They love to pay it forward. And, and they're very generous. 
with yes. it. Way more generous than you would ever think they would be. Well, and it's their passion. So they love to talk about it. And, and think about that. If you love something, you love to share it with other people who have the same interests. So I just think that's a piece of advice I give to people is that if you are really interested in something, do not be afraid to approach someone who you think shares the same passion and has an aptitude or a strong interest in that same hobby. Because 99 out of 100 times, they're going to really enjoy having that conversation with you. And they're going to appreciate it. And they're able to point you in directions that you don't even know are available. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Well, we're back again. And, you know, just kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about, I think an interesting subject to talk about is I think a lot of people in America right now, probably in the world, but I'm just concerned about America right now, are kind of living life without consequences. And we can look at that in so many ways. You know, we look at the kids that everybody gets a trophy. We look at maybe the kids that don't want to do their homework and don't want to study and their parents aren't making them. So the the school kind of dumbs down the curriculum and says, well, you know, we'll we'll just change the tests and we'll we won't teach this and we won't teach that. And then we have crime. We have people that are getting out on no bail after committing horrific crimes and over and over again, and they have no consequences. There are so many areas and, you know, I could mention another one and not to be controversial here, but I am. So, you know, the, the free money uh, that's being given back on the student loans I mean, people, they made an agreement, they, they bought the product, they used the service, and now they don't want to have to pay for it. 
uh, I, I don't know, life without consequences. What does that mean? And is that really a good way to live our life? And is that good for society? Is it a good way to teach our children? Well, I definitely don't think so. Because I think for every person, when you know that you've earned something psychologically, that does something wonderful for you. I can tell you this, that when my children were growing up, I was a big believer in parenting with love and logic. And the whole concept behind love and logic is that children have choices and those choices and the results of those choices are consequences. And it was really interesting because I followed that pretty strictly. And when my children were playing baseball, my son was about probably 10 or 11. One of the moms said to me, she said, I've never seen you yell at your children. And she asked my son, she said, does your mom yell at you? My son said, my son said, no, my mom doesn't yell at me, but my mom does exactly what she says she's going to do when she says she's going to do it. And she doesn't need to yell at us because the consequence is the result of the choices that we make. And I really felt good about that because I think, I think when kids are given the opportunity to make smaller decisions when they're young, they'll make better decisions when they get older. I totally agree with that. And I think it's almost a snowball effect. If you make good choices, your snowball is rolling and getting bigger in the good department. If you make bad choices, your snowball leads you to really bad consequences. And it's just very important for children to know that. And it's okay for children to be disappointed. It's okay to say, I'm really sorry that you made that decision. And as a result of your decision, you're not going to be able to have dessert with dinner, or you're not going to be able to watch this TV show or whatever the consequence is, hopefully you'll make a better decision next time because they learn that actions have consequences. And, and I, I think that's really important. And Vera, I think to your point, it's not only those types of consequences, it's consequences in relationships with people. Yes. And those are major. That's like, exactly right. You have to be truthful mm -hmm. if you want a relationship that is valued. There are certain things that you just have to do if you want X, Y, or Z, whatever those are. If you want to be good at something, you have to put the time in. If you want a good friend, you have to be a good friend. And it doesn't always work out that way. When you look back, you can say, well, I did what I should have done. And that's always good. Well, that's right. And I think the concept of everyone gets a trophy, whether they showed up for practice every day and they came and had a good attitude during the game or not, I think sometimes diminishes the value of what they received because inside they know I didn't really 
earn that. And to your point, that flows across relationships, that flows across schooling, that flows across athletic activities. It flows through every piece of an individual's life. Well, it doesn't. And that's why we have a lot of people today who are in the workforce who kind of have that quietly quitting mentality, right? So they're, they're at work, but their mind is somewhere else. They're not putting in their effort. This generates a society of entitlement that you know, we're seeing today and that we shouldn't be having. So I, I like what you said too, Lee, about the relationships. There are consequences to lying in a relationship. There are consequences to cheating in a relationship because you never get that trust back the way that you had it. There are consequences to what you say because words matter. You know, in my relationship with my husband, we have a hard and fast rule that we always have had. And I don't think that we've ever broken it. Oddly enough, you know, I'm not saying that we can't, but we never have. And that is that we have a respect for each other that we will not say things to each other that damage each other, things that hurt. So we can be mad at what somebody did, or we can be mad about an event or a, you know, whatever. But to say something cutting that hurts the other person is not allowed. And it's not even something that ever crosses my mind to say something personal like that, because I can never take that back. And that's, that would be my consequence. My husband would never see me the same way, nor would I ever see him the same way. We, we would begin walking on eggshells around one, one another. And I don't want that kind of relationship. And you can take that into anywhere that you go in life. You know, you, there's consequences to not doing a good job, right? You, you could get fired. Uh, there are consequences to not doing a good job in that you're not growing within yourself and learning things. There are consequences to, I mean, really to everything, right? Then consequences aren't always bad. They could be good consequences too. Yes. But, but life without consequence, I mean, I, I have no idea how either of you ladies feel about abortion, but, and we're not going to talk about it, but what I will say is to me, that's, that's a, a no consequence. So I'm going to go out and have as much fun as I want. And, and, you know, I, I can take care of it this way and not have a consequence. I, I just think that the, the lack of consequences that we have right now, uh, crime is a big one for me, just the no bail, the, the not putting people in prison. That's a big one. And what it's doing is hurting all of us in society. These people are out to re-victimize over and over again when we as a society deserve to be protected from that. Life with no consequences is getting a little bit scary for me. Well, it's very scary when you feel like the people who are doing the wrong thing or focusing on the minutia versus the big picture have more rights than you do and get more, I don't know if airtime is the right word, but just more 
they're just they're they're portrayed as a victim when they're not the victim and i think that that leads to entitlement well i'll tell y'all a story that lou holtz told at an event that i in, attended do you both I love know- him Yes, I he, love him too. He's great. So, for those of you who are listening, Lou Holtz was the football coach at Notre Dame for many years. And Lou Holtz told a story that he had the football team out on the field and they were practicing. And he said to two of the um, offensive line, sit down. And so other players said, well, do you want us to go in for those two players? And he said, no. And they said, well, coach, we, what are you talking about? We can't play with only nine players. He said, well, this is how I see it. He said, how I see it is that if I have 11 people on the field, but only nine are playing, nobody's going to feel sorry for me. But if I have nine people on the field and all nine are playing, People will see the reality and they'll feel bad for me. And they'll say, gosh, I feel bad for that team that only nine people are playing. He said, and everybody has to own their piece of it. If if I've got two people out there not playing, there's no consequence for them. Better to sit you down and only have nine people on the field because those are the only nine that are playing. And I think it really... To me, that story was so true. It's like we as a society, if everybody does their best and tries to do the right thing, think how much we could lift society up. I agree with that. And to own your own piece of it. Right. To not point the finger at someone else because we can always point the finger at someone else for bad things that we do to justify it. But in the end, that doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I've always thought that women, um, women are the true keepers of the morals in society. They always have been. And if women allow they're men to act certain ways, then they're going to act certain ways. I think that women have a whole lot of power in holding people accountable. And if women would hold people accountable, hold their children accountable, hold their spouses, their, their friends accountable, I, I really think that we, we would uplift the world also because women have that, they just are the keepers of the morality of of life the men men you know let's go back to the stone age you know where where they're out doing the hunting but the women were were tending everything else but as we go as women i i believe that the men go and if we go in the right direction then i i i think that the men will follow and if we go in the wrong direction i think they'll follow too and i don't know if that makes any sense to you but i I just have a very strong feeling that that women are the ones that can change things for the better more. I think you're right. And I think the problem that we fall into is we think that will be easy and it's not. It's hard. But it's worth it. 
Well, I think it's important as women and as mothers that we teach our children to respect everyone, to uphold the dignity of all humans, and that that each of them plays a role, each of our children plays a role in making the world better. Right. And we're all given different gifts and to use the gifts that we have and see those gifts as valuable. Yeah. And I'm a, I tell my kids this all the time. I say, it doesn't matter to me what you're good at other than I celebrate what you're good at. And that don't hide that gift. Use it for the good. Exactly. And don't compare your gift to the person next to you because we all have different gifts. I think if if we as moms teach our kids to do the right thing, even when nobody's looking. Yes, that's right. To not expect things that they haven't earned, then... I think that just we would be much better off. I I worry about our future with our job markets. And I I worry about our future with, uh, you know, our enemies worldwide. Because when I was growing up, you know, it was a very traditional family, right? And the dad worked and the mom stayed home. But, you know, that was really good for us as kids. And, and, I'm not saying that all moms have to stay home because we've talked about that before. What's best for the kids is if the mom is happy. But that being said, um, kids need time with their parents. They need time. And it's not about having the TV or the iPad or anything else, you know, entertain them. It's about spending time and, and teaching kids, you know, right from wrong um, teaching them values. And a lot of that is by example. And a lot of it is by talking, I think. Well, I tell my kids all the time, it's about an attitude of appreciation, not an attitude of expectation. It's that That's attitude great. of gratitude. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so and I think I think that we we need to stop with the with the um, no consequence life, and and uh, you know pay the bills when they come due. I'm not talking about monetarily, just life bills, whatever they are, and and do the right thing. And gosh, I, I just can you imagine what a better society we'd have? But don't oh, you think? Right. I think part of that comes though really from the time a child is even an infant. And what I mean by that is when a child's an infant, if a child learns that the worse my behavior is, the more I amp it up, I'm going to get what I want. Then they learn that they get the consequence they want from bad behavior versus the better their behavior is, the better their consequences. And I think that parenting for many people is harder. And I believe as parents, we have to understand that and we have to to ensure that we don't give in to a child who's throwing a tantrum or a child whose behavior is becoming more extreme other than if it's health-related, et cetera. But beyond that, 
we can't capitulate or give in to a temper tantrum, as an example. Well, I call that the five-minute versus the five-year rule. And that is, what do I want this to feel like in five minutes versus what do I want it to feel like in five years? Well, ladies, that's a wrap. One more step for womankind. 